Welcome to the Recording Library of West Texas Award-Winning Book Club. On this show, we feature fiction books that have recently won literary awards. We'll discuss writing style, characters, plot, and more aspects connected with this month's featured book, along with some fun questions. We will also pair the book with wine, so stay tuned for our thoughts and reviews of today's wine sampling. Now welcome our host, staff, and volunteers from the Recording Library of West Texas for our award-winning book club. Hi, welcome everyone to the Recording Library of West Texas award-winning book club. My name is Trish Spate, and I'm the executive director of the Recording Library. And to my left is... I'm Iris Foster. I'm a volunteer for the Recording Library. I'm Cindy Johnson. I'm volunteer coordinating for the uh, Recording Library. I'm Becky Armour, a volunteer. I'm Denisa Casey, a volunteer. And I'm Abby Wiggum, the outreach coordinator of the Recording Library of West Texas. Awesome. Okay. This is so nice to have everybody here to my little club. <laughs> I call it my club, but it's really our club. So. Our book this time. So our journey through award-winning books. This is a book that won the 2017 Nebula Award. So I believe uh, Denise is going to tell us what that award is all about. The Nebula Awards are given annually by the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America for the best science fiction or fantasy fiction published during the previous year. To be eligible for considerations, works must be published in English in the United States. Works published in English elsewhere in the world are also eligible provided they are released on either a website or in an electronic edition. The awards are not limited to American citizens or members of SFWA. Works translated into English are also eligible. There are no written rules as to which work qualifies as science fiction or fantasy, and the decision of eligibility in that regard is left up to the nominators and voters rather than to SFWA. The winner receives a trophy, but no cash prize. The trophy is a transparent block with an embedded glitter spiral nebula and gemstones cut to resemble planets. Members then vote on the ballot throughout March, and the final results are presented at the Nebula Awards Ceremony in May. Authors are not permitted to nominate their own works, though they can decline nominations. Ties in the final vote are broken, if possible, by the number of nominations the works received. The SFWA was started by a group of writers at a conference in 1965. The group acquired great status in its efforts to help J.R.R. Tolkien get fair recompense in America for pirated sales of The Lord of the Rings. The first winner of a Nebula Novel Award was Frank Herbert for Dune. Other notable winners include Arthur C. Clark, Isaac Asimov, Orson Scott Card, Nell Gaiman, and Ursula Le Guin. Awesome. So, Nebula Awards. I already messed up because last time I told y'all that I chose awards that had a cash prize. You did. <laughs> and so, what I read about Nebula Awards is that um, the cash prize comes in the form of your book will sell. Your book will sell. Yeah, your book will sell. And the cool, and I did see a picture of that award online, mm -hmm. and it's beautiful. It sounds cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really cool. So I found it was in uh, interesting. So I just want to talk about the award for a minute. Um, it's a nonprofit, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers Association, and it was started by a group of writers. So it's not necessarily. I think it's different from our other award-winning book that we did last month, which was a National Book Award, which. Yeah, publishers nominate. So, you know, publishers are trying to sell their books. Mm -hmm. I just think it's an and that it started as a way to get Tolkien the money that he deserved to right. get for Lord right. of the Rings. Because apparently there's a bunch of, like, I delved way down into all that. So there's apparently a bunch of pirating copies. People, all those nerds were passing around pirated copies of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> so the writer wasn't getting, he wasn't getting, and it was especially happening in the United States. So these people were American citizens who this writer's conference and they were like, this isn't right. So probably had some self-interest in creating the drive behind making sure that those pirated copies were not 
taking money away from their fellow author. Anyway, so the next thing we're going to read is um, because we sort of uh, need to know what this lovely book is about. So we have (laughs) the um, book summary and Becky is going to read that. A tale of science and magic, life and love, and the beginning of our future. From an early age, Patricia Delphine and Lawrence Armstead had different and sometimes opposite ways of seeing the world. Patricia could talk to animals and even turn herself into a bird, while Lawrence built a supercomputer and a time machine that only went forward two seconds. As they navigated the never-ending nightmare that is junior high school, they became wary allies until an enigmatic guidance counselor with a hidden agenda intervened. They didn't expect to see each other again, and yet, ten years later, they're both adults living in the hipster mecca, San Francisco, and the planet is falling apart around them. Patricia is a graduate of Illitzley Mays, the secret academy for the magically gifted, and Lawrence is an engineering genius who's trying to save the world. As Lawrence and Patricia reconnect, they find themselves drawn into the opposite sides of a war between science and magic, and the fate of the world depends on them both, probably. So, it's a weird book. <laughs> and it, and it encompasses I, I understand it so much more now after hearing that. <laughs> it is it encompasses all of the things that could be science fiction, fantasy, mm-hmm. all of all I mean it's it's got elements of all those things, which is very interesting. So the next thing we're gonna read is about the author. I think Charlie Jane Anders was born in Connecticut and grew up in Mansfield. She studied English and Asian literature at University of Cambridge lived in Hong Kong and Boston before moving to San Francisco. Anders has sensory integration disorder. She credits her special education teacher for inspiring her childhood writing passion. So, science fiction. I read a little bit more about her. It's kind of interesting. She is a, she and her, she is transgender. She and her partner, and I can't remember that person's name. Whoops, already messed up. Alice, someone. Annalyn. Um, they started... It's called IO9, which is a science fiction and fantasy book sub. Uh, what is the word for it? It's a P. They're they're promoted and housed with Gawker Media, which is another. It's a San Francisco thing. So they write about science fiction all the time. So that's why I wanted to mention that because I think it's super interesting that. Like, it made a lot more sense to me after I read the book, when I read that about her, mm-hmm. that she's a genreist, which means that, like, she has studied genre. She knows this genre. And she, I would challenge anybody to find any element of uh, whatever science fiction and fantasy, like, genre, there's sub-genres. But I think they're all in this book. <laughs> like, all of them. Pretty much, Yes. <laughs> So, let's go right to the book. Let's start with characters. So, we have two protagonists. What do y'all think of Patricia the Witch? Misunderstood child. Very much. And and that's sort of a trope of science fiction writing. Is you have, like, Harry Potter, the misunderstood mm-hmm. child, who gets to go to special school. Yeah, right. Cool. And the other character is Lawrence, and he is also a out, outlier, outcast too. Anybody have any thoughts on Lawrence? Bully. Lawrence wants to. Well, call he was Lawrence. Bull- Lawrence. Not Larry. He's not Larry. <laughs> um, he's very much the nerd. I, you know, in school, he Who was bullied. Yeah, and he was bullied. You could see him being hung up by his belt loops, or you know, whatever. Thrown into the garbage can. Food in the yes. So I feel sorry for Lawrence. I know. And and Patricia. I mean, yeah. she was. She was very. Her lovely. sister she was, was so sister cruel was, to her. Yes. Yes. And cruel to animals. And yeah. So like like so I'm saying about like we have all of the genres. She's a witch, but her sister was putting frogs in a blender. <laughs> and torturing the cat. Yeah, and torturing the cat yeah. and. So we have bad witch, good witch. Hmm. That's kind of how I. Think. And was the sister a witch? I no. mean, I, don't, I didn't. If re- she was, I don't think she was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if she was a witch, it manifested in psychopathy. Exactly. <laughs> Talk about at your dysfunctional point, family. At one point, one of the birds talked to her. Yeah. 
but that was it. You know, I mean, it was never really stated she was, but I kind of at that point went, oh, wait a minute. Is she a witch too? What did y'all think about the the way that we felt about the the way those characters were presented? Was it too flat and expect like what you expected? Like the, here's the trope, here's the two misunderstood kids, and they're gonna grow up to be boy meets girl, boy loses girl, adults reconnect. The romance element there, mm-hmm. they were friends. It seemed a lot Harry Potterish to me with Patricia's. You know, the magic part of it. The first part of it, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Like that. And that's the part I liked the best before they started growing up. I, I I did derive some satisfaction from the fact that they both ended up going to, I don't know if it was a comment on public education, but that they both ended up going to schools. He went to the science and nerd school and she got to go to the witch's school. That they It was maybe a statement on specialized education. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Okay, so there is also the themes of, so there's all that genre stuff, but then there's also these themes that are of popular culture themes and also issues of the day. So um, the first one that comes out to me was the climate change. Right. We're destroying so when the they world. become adults, right. like, did that strike any of y'all as plausible? The, the things that were happening to the earth. Some of them, yes. Exaggerated, maybe. Yeah, I mean. Horrible storms and then displaced people. Um, epidemics, I believe they talk about disease. Yeah. Quite mm-hmm. um, but it, it was kind of vague about some of the things it talked about. You know, it was like what happened in so-and-so, but you never really knew what happened. So you just kind of had to. Yeah, like there's a war, but yeah, I never but got like I never what well, what the war was yeah. or yeah, or who or, was warring exactly. I mean, it was very much implied when when they they call it, I think they called it the tragedy on the Korean Peninsula, right? You assume that's they never say nu- nukes, no, but you assume that it's some kind of nuclear tragedy. Right. But yeah, I mean, a lot of that was not spelled out, spelled out for you, so you just kind of had to use your imagination. So. I want to ask, I mean, aside from the characters, and we have, there's a lot of good characters. And one thing that I read was there's a lot, I would say there, it's a lot of diverse characters. So the characters in the first half of the book are all these people peripherally around them being mean. Mm -hmm. And then the second half of the book, they've achieved adulthood and they have like this, these people around them. And they're all very interesting. Like as adults do, you gravitate towards people who are like, so they're all very interesting. And one quote that I read was, "These the, the reviewer said, these are all the people that you would want to be at the end of the world cocktail party with <laughs> because they were so interesting. So is there any peripheral characters that, and that I'm going to include a little nudge, it, the, including any characters that might be artificial that struck you as interesting? The caddy. The caddy. Mm-hmm. At first, I was like, "What are they talking about?" And then it finally, and then I was like, "Oh, this is an iPad kind of thing, mm-hmm. but on steroids." Exactly, yeah. exactly. And uh, what do y'all? But think? it was okay, intrusive. Let's, let's describe mm-hmm. the caddy. The, the caddy sort of like takes like the the, the modern day iPhone thing, exactly. right? Like it's over. It's listening mm-hmm. to you exactly, and sort of making you. recommendations about mm-hmm. where you should be but and what you need to do. And, so it yeah, has it was some like, size to it compared mm-hmm. to these little mm-hmm. things, these extras right. and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it described like the button in the center that was. It was interesting. So the one description I read that described it perfectly to me was it's not a communications device, but it was a device created to create serendipity. Mm-hmm. It reminded me I of like one. Alexa or <laughs> that kind of, but more, but more. Yeah. yeah. That kind of thing. But yeah. Like you say on steroids. A little scary. Little. Yeah. I agree. And it even filmed you in intimate times. So yeah, I could use that information. Exactly. That was, that was really. I mean, it was a takeoff on the fact that these are picking mm-hmm. up more than. Oh, yes. yes. Then we, yes. yes. Yeah. It's just, it, and this, it, that seems likely the way oh, the very. iPhone is going, which is very, very. scary. It's very yeah, scary. You're, like my kids have even said it freaks them out and they're mm-hmm. kids. I mean, they're mm-hmm. teens, like young twenties, but they'll be like, yeah, we were just like, they'll, and they'll, but now they're anticipating it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like they'd be like, well, you know, we were just talking about, um, 
Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they get on their phone, open Twitter, mm-hmm. and then they have a update. It's creepy. A story it's creepy. about Kurt it Russell is. and Goldie yeah. Hawn. We, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, we had people, I've talked to people that said, you know, that if they want to have a conversation now, they leave their phones in another part of the house turned off so that. Wow. I mean, that's. That's just right. weird that you have to mm-hmm. feel like you have to do that to well, hide from your phone. I from my desk here and went down the hall to go to the bathroom and I said something about, when I have to go, I really need to go. And so I got back on Facebook and there was an advertisement for pee-proof panties. <laughs> <laughs> so you tell me. Would that make your life better? <laughs> but it's all under the guise of making your life exactly. better, just yeah, like exactly. the is. It makes your yeah. life better. It enriches your life. So it's very it's scary. Yeah. Yes. yeah, it creates serendipity. Like tells you you need to get you need to wait for the next bus. Don't get on that bus mm-hmm. because if you'll wait for the next bus, the caddy knows that you're. So we should back up a little bit and talk about the caddy because uh, to me that was one of the most interesting characters. Exactly, mm-hmm. was that Lawrence created an artificial intelligent intelligence called Change Me Three, something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was. It's weird. Yeah. It's like a license plate, like right. the C H and G, but the G is like low. I don't know. Change Me Three. And the goal is for it to achieve sentience. Right. Um, and it, it does. It only took on its own name, Peregrine. And then it picked its mm-hmm. own name, Peregrine. So which leads us to... Which was a bird. The exactly. title. Mm-hmm. So what, how do y'all think birds? the title fits in with the book? That was one of our questions we're going to be talking about with each book is that what do you think about the title and how it relates to the story? All the birds in the sky could be like the caddy because they're... Above watching you gathering information, so I think there's that. And that was, and it was the birds that that she knew she mm-hmm. had some special powers. had powers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cross reference there between because so what we have is Patricia represents nature, and the witch talking to birds. Lawrence represents science. Mm-hmm. So we're going to jump to the end. Sorry, I know there's some of you that haven't jumped to the end, but um, those of us that finished the book. <laughs> not naming names. Oh, shaming. Not- <laughs> the ending, to me, first of all, seems it was it was sort of the natural. Like so, Lawrence and Patricia finally get together, get together. Right. and then the technology and nature finally get together. The caddy, the tree accepts the caddy, and they start talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the tree talks. It's cool. <laughs> um, so that combination of representations of science and then nature is like where we're at in the world. Like where, what are we going to choose? So the ending, y'all, was that satisfying? Well, still they weren't able to save the people they wanted to save. No, they didn't. They did not. uh, It wasn't total annihilation, but, but yeah, a lot of friends gone. Yeah. A lot of death, a lot of, and I feel like it's set up for a sequel. Can I ask a question? I think I have a, a, a cogent quote. But you suppose I'm the one that didn't finish reading the book. <laughs> she did. she didn't keep listening. Uh, you're, yeah, you're good. You're good. But suppose you had the power to change things. You still not. You still might not be able to fix anything because every time you solve a problem, you'd cause another problem. And maybe these plagues and droughts are nature's way of striking a balance. We humans don't have any natural predators left, so nature has to find other ways to handle us. So is that what Doc, what Mr. Rose, she said, he said that she was um, evil and that she needed to go and that she was going to cause so much suffering and all the time she was trying to heal people. So is that the way the book unfolds, that every time she saves somebody, it creates an imbalance? I don't think it's a, I don't think it's ubiquitous. I don't think that every time that she tries to heal something, but I do think it has to do with that final last thing, which is, so that, that's good because that brings us to the 10% project, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't you think right now there's probably a 10% project going on and the 10% project means they're going to save 10% of the life on earth. It does seem that way. Yeah. Yeah, They're creating a wormhole. They're going to move. I mean, we've got all the science fiction. (laughs) Exactly. They're going to create the wormhole hole in space travel. So we're going to transport 10% of humans because humans are what's important on earth. But do you think when the caddy's talking to the tree at the end of the book, is that what's going to happen? 
very weird thoughts. But that's a great quote. What chapter is that in? <laughs> Patricia mentioned, I don't remember who she's talking to. She said, well, yes, you're saving all the people, but how, because Patricia cares about life. She says, how about everything else on earth? She right. does bring it. And she cares about attention. life on earth. One of the things I thought was like made me laugh out loud was when she talks to, was it moles or ground squirrels in the park? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the, the construction, the yeah. and the yeah. construction is ruining their homes. And yeah. she talks to him and finds yeah. out about it. And then she has to figure out how to how write to, a letter to the city to tell him to, to quit oh, yeah. without yeah. saying, I talked to the gophers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she does care. She cares mm-hmm. about all life, but does she? I think she's the perfect foil to the to the scientists and the ten percent project. And there's another trope in there, which is the billionaire genius. Mm-hmm. The Lawrence is reclusive Durth. Yeah, Malcolm Durth. He's never in any scenes, mm-hmm. but he is a definitely Big Brother, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's Lawrence's boss and all that. Um, so there's another science fiction like that. Just be like one and the super powerful weapon. And what's the first thing that Lawrence creates? Does anybody think that was weird? Oh, the two-second time machine? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we've got time travel, too. Uh, Exactly. And he mentions that, like, way later in the book that, you know, that was, of course, he had done it as a child. So, you know, that. Would you want a two-second time machine? But what if it was two seconds previous instead of two seconds? Right. They did. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Two seconds is like nothing. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, it's enough time to avoid getting hit in the head with a horn. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor kid. Okay. Um, so Cindy gave us that quote. Does anybody else have a quote that they like a favorite quote? Um, I have one that was actually at the beginning of the book and it was, it was, uh, I guess I've been thinking about parenting a lot. Um, Lawrence's parents and they're such jerks. But they say, or I think it's his dad, when Lawrence was old enough to do what he liked, he would be old enough to understand he couldn't do what he liked. That's a lot of reality. Mm, That is, yeah. So that was one of mine. My other one was Peregrine, and I switched it from whatever, change me three. Um, But Peregrine, um, towards the end, says society is the choice between freedom on someone else's terms or slavery on yours. Oh, that was my favorite quote, too. Really? Well, it was one of mine. I marked it. See, it's right here. Yeah, Yeah. that's very dystopian, which is a a common thing. But there's not, it's not all dystopian. There are some themes of utopianism, which is a failure, obviously, or there wouldn't be a book, because why would you write a book about utopia? (laughs) (laughs) That leaves the the plot somewhat wanting if there's no conflict. So, no, no. We talked about quotes. What about symbolism? It's heavy on symbols. The ring. Mm -hmm. Which we have to talk a little (laughs) bit about the magic because I love magic. I think um, that's from reading all that Harry Potter stuff with my kids. But that magic is transactional. You have to give up something to get something from it, which is very egalitarian. Mm -hmm. So Lawrence has to give up the ring. And do you really think so he didn't? And I do mean, you think he really didn't have anything smaller than that? I that know. He owned? Yeah. I just kept thinking he's got. It can't be paperclip. I mean, I get that, but or lint, or lint from his pocket. Yeah. I just kept thinking there has he has to have something else. But the because nature a, a ring is not. I mean, it's not teeny tiny. It's not teeny tiny. But the, she kind of described the ring as being very tiny, small, very small. But then he said he also had to factor in the box. The box. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. The fuzzy cube. So did you all sit around and think about what's the smallest thing I own? No. Watch battery, maybe. (laughs) If it was just a stone, that would make more sense. Like Mm -hmm. a diamond, a stone. That would be very tiny and hard Mm -hmm. to be smaller Exactly. Yeah, there's a little bit of a loophole there. But it was just a symbol. Right. I mean, I think ultimately it was the symbol. The tree is a symbol, and not just, I mean, the tree. She's always trying to find that tree, that, tree. that specific tree oh, that talked to her. Oh, yeah, I really like that idea, too, of the Parliament of Birds. Mm-hmm. What about Theophilus Rose? 
Oh, yeah, the counselor guy. Not, okay, so that was that that goes back disturbing. To like, he was very. That was disturbing. very disturbing. He was the assassin first. And it was very dark. Him. Yeah. Yeah. The counselor. He was the school the counselor. Top, top sheet or however you say. Hiding, yeah. hiding as the assassin. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it might be a little bit None of the character. Was an English teacher. I'm sorry. Uh, well, <laughs> none of those teachers were great at that school either. I thought that might have been a little bit of a like dig, maybe. Charlie, mm-hmm. the author, had a fantastic uh, school counselor at some time is... in her life. <laughs> so uh, transit back to transactional magic. So like, I never really understood like how they, like he was such a bad character, but then he was just negated so instantly mm-hmm. into a little you know, figurine, and then he was in and the then box he was or something in the wall. Yeah, I was trying to. Visualize what they were saying where about he was in the stock. where he, he yeah, his arms were out and his mouth <coughs> his head. Weird. Yeah. So could y'all see it as a movie? Yeah, I told or Netflix oh, series. Yeah. Definitely. Who would you think? Who would who would be a good character? Now the I mean they'll never be uh, another Voldemort, but I mean Ray Fiennes could play the Rose guy. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but he probably doesn't want any more. I'm the evilest any person horse. in the world. Right. Yeah. Um, any other ideas? Who would y'all think would be a good Patricia? It would have to be something that <coughs> could look kind of nerdy, that it wouldn't be a super model. A raving beauty. Right. No, raving beauty. Yeah. And Lawrence too. We need a, we need a, mm-hmm. um, yeah. A hunky not, geek. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, an attractive geek, not a Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it, I think that Chris Hemsworth should, pay, should play all of the male leads in every role, yes. but <laughs> but I don't think he'd be a good Lawrence. I think you need a, a nerd. <laughs> um, well, I could definitely see it as a movie. I'm not sure about a Netflix series because I'm not sure if there's enough there, but maybe I'm wrong. I spent this last weekend watching a science fiction thing on Netflix that was pretty good. What was that? The Umbrella Academy. Oh. I've I've come across that and I've wondered about it. It was good. I'm, I mean, it was held. It's no Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> That's the standard. Right? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so the title. We go back to the title relating to the story. So the birds are all listening. The cat. That was my next question. We kind of got off. What do y'all make of the title? How it connects to the book? Is it just the AI and the nature? Or and then what do y'all think about the book cover? It's pretty interesting. And Cindy made us these cool. The, on the book cover are swallows. Swallows. Well, see, and, yes, that's what I had at Ben's. I get distracted, <laughs> and probably my time might have been better served reading the actually reading the book. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> <people honest. laughs> but you made these cool origami swallows. Yes. Yes. Interestingly, there was a bit of serendipity back in the acknowledgments. It says the. Uh, Sarah, Charlie Jane Anders says, I really hope you guys enjoyed this book. If you didn't, or if there was stuff that didn't make sense to you or seemed too random, just email me and I'll come to your house and act the whole thing out for you, maybe with origami finger puppets. And I was like, well, I just made origami swallows. So, yeah. She does seem like a mind control. Yeah. Yeah. You cry. Yes. You don't know where that seek the caddy. Your face. You were probably talking about origami. We were talking about this book, and then Facebook probably told you to make these. <laughs> make these exactly. So I'm already under mind control. <laughs> I think yes. I think we. And so let's talk about Charlie Jane. What did y'all think of her writing style? One thing that I always look for in a book is because I've just from attempts of writing of my own and and talking to authors is that conversations are very hard to write. Yeah. And I thought she did a pretty good job writing the conversations. I did too. Mm-hmm. They seemed realistic. Yes. To me. I would agree. Yes. Yes. I just had trouble with a lot of the imagery because, you know, I'm not a science person and and all these machines, you know, dedicated to blowing up the world or yeah, channeling, you know, people in and out. I thought, what? And they all look like creatures. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like, what? Like transformers hmm. or something. Yeah, that would be interesting uh, in a movie. In a movie, how would they portray it? But I could visualize what she was saying. I mean, she was able to. Yeah, her descriptions. Her descriptions were good. 
It, well, if you we if Charlie Jane was here and we were interviewing her, what would y'all ask her about? Like, what was she trying to make a statement on society, like society as it is, through this weird novel encompassing every single science fiction genre there is? I mean, I would ask about that. Did she like sit there? Because it was almost like checking off a list, punch list. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Handle that. Yeah. Handled We've that. got our. Super powerful weapons, space travel, time travel. Romance. Rom- yeah, you've got the crazy billionaire, the mean. I mean, there's a lot of the witch, the geek. Angst in junior high. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, what, do you, what would y'all want to ask her about? Like if we did, if we called her, which is interesting because I listened to another book club that is like ours in uh, Massachusetts and they read a book and they actually did have the author call in. And it was really funny because they had just got done with one lady uh, panning the book and saying a part of the book. It was like a book that was split into two timelines. Mm-hmm. And the she was like, well, I like this part. But that other part, that was just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> totally. And then the author called in. But the author said she didn't mind. It meant people read it. That's true. I mean. Yeah, you just as a writer, you just if they don't like or don't like your, you just want them to buy your book as long as they bought it. Yeah, yeah. Discuss amongst yourselves. We're gonna. I was gonna queue up the the audio. Did anybody listen to the audio version? I think not. No. The person who read it is an actress that I'd never heard of, but of course she's been on episodes of Law and Order because all actors everybody has. That would take me a minute. So y'all talk about. Oh, the oh, questions. If, yeah, the questions what, to Charlie Jane. What would we ask the author? Where was your head? <laughs> <laughs> what were you smoking? Yeah, right. I'd, I'd ask her what her junior high years were like. Yeah, she must have autobiographical yeah. Yes. You know, there was not one single good experience, or I know she's trying to prove a point. Nothing good in junior high. No. Everything was horrible. No. There's got to be one second of something that good that happened. <laughs> And no good relationship with parents. No, with, with, with no one. Or not, siblings. Not with parents, siblings, Mm-mm. friends, classmates, teachers. There's not one caring teacher that, you know, no. took care of them or listened yeah. to them. Yeah. And you've used, I mean, you usually find one. Mm-hmm. Just one. At least. Just one safe haven. Yeah. And your counselor. Your counselor was your the worst counselor. of them all. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He got his. Oops. Yeah. Definitely. Turned into the tchotchke. Ah, this is a good question. Did your opinion of the book change while you read it? Everybody has to. Answer yes, this. probably. I mean, I was like, first, I was like, "This is just weird. I don't, <laughs> I don't think I like this." And then, and then I was like, I didn't go to bed because I wanted to finish it. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> so that's a good you know, sign you're enjoying it. Stayed up later than I normally would because I, was like, I just have 17 pages. I can do this. <laughs> so yeah. My opinion devolved as I kept going through. I was like, really? Oh, come on. No, <laughs> not really. I, I was yeah. more connected to them when they were children. I think that's I, it, too. I like that. I started losing interest when they started growing up, and that's where I started doing both. <laughs> 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 hey, Patricia well, and Lawrence. Just you know, I don't know that, get it over with. that I liked them any better. I just really wanted to see how it was going to. End. End. So plot. Mm-hmm. You were interested yeah, in plot. I was mm-hmm. interested. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't, I can't say I really cared about what happened to them. Although I no. did care a little bit more about what happened to her because he, now we can talk about that. Irish, you were saying like, like he was lead footed or seemed to be slow to figure out maybe that he liked her. Because he had Serafina. I love that character name. I thought, oh, she's into that candy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she, my laugh went off the charts there. Uh, <laughs> like, I should be able to see that. So, yeah, he had a girlfriend. She was supposedly real pretty and everything. And the one he wanted. And she, was, he, she was the one, yeah. But she, it was all surface. It was about how, tra- it wasn't, they didn't have a deep connection. They didn't no. spend much time with each other. And he had so much in common with Patricia. Yeah, and they had history together. Yeah. Yeah. Way back. Was there anything about the book, the way that the plot unfolded that affected your reading experience? For myself, I will say that in the middle, I was like, come on, let's go. Let's get this going. <laughs> yeah. I want to know why Why are these two people so important? Mm-hmm. I wonder, I would ask Charlie Jane that exact question. 
did she have trouble figuring out? Like, or did she know beforehand that the maybe she knew the ultimate end was going to be the combination of the caddy and the tree? And that Lawrence and Patricia, I'm probably as an author, she probably knew they were finally going to get together. But all that stuff in the middle, was she just like looking up like, eh, doomsday, what would that be like? <laughs> Google. Google doomsday. <laughs> so we're saying we had some trouble staying hooked. Hooked at the beginning. Y'all were hooked at the beginning. Yeah, definitely. Denise and I were sort of like plot driven. Like we wanted to figure out what was going to happen. Right. But didn't really care about the characters too much. I was really worried about those gophers. gophers. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't worried about the birds. I'm kind of like the prairie bird dogs in Midland. You know, they keep getting yeah. moved further. Yeah. yeah. You know, I kind of wanted to, at the beginning when they were children, I wanted to see them. I wanted to see Patricia evolve yes. as the witch to yes. figure out more as a child mm-hmm. how this was going to affect her for her life. And that's, that's really kind of what I've I expected it to do, and it didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I went off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we did get some little... I, I thought that was I'm, super interesting, too. Like, there could have been more about her flashbacks when she's talking about, like, the school uh-huh. and about how, like, one part of it was super regimented, but then you would get sent and dropped in, in the maze. And, yeah. Okay. Dropped to somewhere else. Sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. And opposite. And they were children. Yeah. Don't know anybody, don't speak the language, but you're dropped mm-hmm. in there mm-hmm. and you have to figure it out. You have to, she had to find someone to, to heal that would, yeah, let anonymous heal. Them. Yeah, that was the other thing. Mm-hmm. Horrible junior high. <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing about Lawrence's school. So we assume no. he just went to like MIT. Well, he went to MIT and right. just yeah. blew him away because yeah. he was just a genius. But still, you want to see how that, what he did with, is how he came about building that what machine. Interesting you know? that the parents in both cases did come back around. I mean, the Patricia's when they were drowning. Right. And, you know, told her, you know, that they were sorry and they really did love her and stuff. And his, even though they divorced and remarried and so forth, came back and said, you know, we're finally pursuing our you know dream mm-hmm. and so forth. So there was closure as far as the parents who had been so dysfunctional at the beginning. But she didn't. Get any closure with her sister. Right. Well, her sister died, didn't she? Mm-mm. Oh, sorry no. to give away to the people who haven't finished the book. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> the, the, no, the parents died. The parents died. died. Yeah. Not, but not the sister. Not the still sister. a thorn in her side. But the, the rooster told his sister, tell your sister. That's when I was like, wait, is she a witch too? Yeah, I don't it, think she was. Because I don't of either, all but all of a sudden this chicken beginning. was talking to her and I was like. She was talking hmm. to a bird too. And yeah. I almost think she was, but it wasn't explored at all. That would be an excellent question to ask yeah. Charlie Jane. Exactly. She was definitely a bad witch if she was. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I have to go back to the, you know, if you're putting frogs in a blender. Yeah. You're not a, you're, yeah. you're not a good witch. You're not looking for a good outcome there. And how about putting the hot pepper on her food? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that was mean. awful. So that was her soul sister. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was very sibling-ish. Yes. It's yeah. <laughs> pretty extreme. Yeah. When I was reading yeah. it, I was like, yeah, this is the kind. Well, my, I mean, maybe not in my house. And maybe it would seem more like something a boy would do. than a Oh, girl. yeah. Brother. So that's why I was thinking maybe she, maybe she was a witch. Because, you know, but that did work out. Because the hot pepper, eating all that hot pepper made her reimagine herself and found her magic as the bird. Okay. I don't really have any other questions prepared. I, I do. Ooh, oh. A question from a non-reader. <laughs> okay. So I don't read a lot of fiction at all, actually, especially science fiction. But if I were to start reading science fiction, would you recommend me start with this book? Why or why not? Ooh. I don't think so. I think you ought to start with something more traditional. Mm-hmm. Traditional, yeah. like. Like Harry Potter series or mm-hmm. Tolkien or somebody like yeah. that. A single genre. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Maybe just about space travel or just about time travel or just about witches. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Kind of convoluted. And yeah. I did keep saying, like you, the first few, but this is so weird. This is so weird. This is really weird. <laughs> Yeah, and at my house, we re- we really like weird, and I really do like science fiction. So I'll recommend some good ones for you. Yeah. Um, 
like I read a lot of science fiction in like junior high. I can remember my sister coming home from college and grabbing the book out of my, you know, being a sibling, grabbing the book out of my hand that I was laying on the couch reading and laughing at it, like holding it and laughing at it and walking into the kitchen. Mother, can you believe that this is what Trisha's reading? You know, But nobody else in my family really liked science fiction. Nobody else. Like uh, when we had a Trivial Pursuit question one time, I won the whole thing because nobody else knew the insignia on the side of the Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> and what is it? Third NCC 1701. <laughs> <laughs> but of course. Still does it. So, yeah, I'm still a Star Trek nerd. I still like all that. So I didn't really have anybody in my house who liked science fiction to guide me. So I used, I had friends who did. And at that time, uh, in the 70s, and early 80s, science fiction was boy books. Mm-hmm. Right. It was all mm-hmm. Heinlein and, mm-hmm. and the um, Starship Troopers and that kind of stuff. And there wasn't it. I had. And so I was kind of reading like these very subpar novels because I was looking for female protagonists. Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I read a lot of like history. I just like history, basically, like real stuff. Persuade me. What would you like? How would you persuade me to read science fiction? Uh, so I've got a book for you, and I can't remember the exact title of it. It's called It's called Doomsday Something, but they're history detectives, and they time travel. Okay, and they go through history, yeah. and they and they solve mysteries that way. I do like time travel stuff. So, like my husband Ooh. would like to be an astronaut. He would love to go to space, but he is he couldn't even be a pilot because he's way too big. He didn't fit. In those Air Force. And at that time, astronauts were all pilots. Now, right. it's not such yeah, it's a big not, deal. Yeah. But is there... Um, so he... I know his answer to that question is he would he would be interested in space travel if he could do it in real life. And I would be interested in time traveling. What would you other readers be interested oh, in doing? Would you want to be a witch? Yeah, I'd love to be a magical witch. I have a few people right today. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and I guess you're assuming that you're not going to be the healing kind of witch. (laughs) Vindictive. I always wanted to fly, and I was quite certain when I was a child that I did, because I was always jumping from the couch to the... Coffee table? A chair? No, the the footrest. I was always jumping, and I could swear that I did. Yes, my father had me convinced I was bionic for a while, and the bionic (laughs) woman was very... Interesting because my mother would send me to him with like a jar of pickles or a ketchup bottle and he would open it, uh, but he would trick me and be like, Trisha, I just can't get it and give it back to me. Uh-huh. And then I would open it and yeah. then he would be like, I really think you are bionic. <laughs> <laughs> Trisha, do you remember your very first science fiction book, like in elementary school? I don't know. I think Alice in Wonderland is. Definitely uh-huh. Yeah, fiction. that's a good one. I mean, and then personification of animals is such uh-huh. a, that's fable. Uh-huh. I think all fables. Yeah. Um, poo. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Who doesn't love poo? I remember reading The Forgotten Door, and I did love it, but I don't remember now what it's about. I need to go back to it and read it again, but I thought it was just fascinating. And do you remember the book called The Borrowers? Little bit of oh, tiny people the that tiny. lived, and yes. I, I love that one. I that would be that science fiction, series. I guess. Yeah. Good movie stuff too. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, uh-huh. that's interesting. That's not a theme that's in this at all. Is like uh, people. Well, they do shrink. Well, they, they, they shrink it. Yeah. Yeah. They, yes. they shrink a little bit. Yeah. So never mind. She got it. She didn't miss that one. I read a Nebula Award winner for Recording Library that we had from Texas Talking Book Program because I looked up and see if I. Had read any Nebula Award winners because science fiction isn't particularly my genre. But Time is the Simplest Thing by Clifford C. Mack. Mm. And it was pretty good. I mean, I wouldn't have read it otherwise, but it was good. Mm. I also read Ragtime by E.L. Doctorow, but oh, yeah. I gave it one star. Else <laughs> it wasn't my, yeah. Doctorow is not my favorite science fiction. Because there's another one by him. I can't, uh, it was made into a movie and it's not one of them. I so wanted ragtime to be different, more historical. This is I mean, not I don't. The book I, want. I, don't <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. I'm it, going but. to go full paper. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the first science fiction I was really exposed to. exposed to. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> was like Dick Tracy. Did you ever read the Dick Tracy? Mm-hmm. 
cartoon in the newspaper. Like watches. The watches and that were phones and, moon and they could what talk gadgets? into, you know, the gadgets and stuff that were just so far out there that are mm-hmm. like right here yeah. today, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I always, and I was and, a big James Bond fan, but my favorite part of any James Bond book was when he got to go look at all the, like, what do we have for you today, Mr. Bond? And, yeah. you know, the gadgets. Cars and all that kind of stuff. And pens as cameras, pens but and now, and weapons. Exactly. Oh gosh, all the stuff. Exactly. All the pens stuff that cameras. was just yeah. unimaginable. It's just everyday stuff. What about now. like okay, so like what about TV shows? Like I just said Star Trek. Like I used to come home from school, and you know that was back in the day when we only had like five oh, channels. Lost and we in got space. And Star Trek. Yeah. yeah, my favorite Martian. My favorite Martian. Get smart. Yeah, Rod Serling. Oh, oh yeah, Twilight Zone. It's back. They're on yeah, It's on CBS. Me TV at night. Like at oh yeah, the real the old on the weekends. The old Twilight Zones. I love them. But there's there's a new series coming out. It's a Paler, and it's just started. It's on CBS All Access. You have to get it on your computer. Yeah, I think I saw that because we have CBS All Access for the Star Trek because they have which is no good. Don't watch it. Very disappointing, except for the new character this season. There's a new Spock, and he's hot Spock. So <laughs> I might be watching it. I saw an interview with him, and I'm like, oh, I'll give it another try. But that's why we have it, CBS All Access. Um, so I, th- I did see that, a new Twilight Zone. And there's mm-hmm. someone pretty good in it. I can't remember who the um, actor is. The, there, it, it changes each week. But yeah. the first one is the, the comedian. He, was, he did a comedy. He's an Indian guy, and he's married. To, he did a start on his life. Oh, the comedy. big sick guy. Yes, yeah. him. That's a great movie. He's the, it is. He's the main character in the first Twilight Zone. Oh, right. I got my next binge. Hmm. <laughs> I'm t- I, can I totally think I only have two episodes so far. Oh, yeah, it's new. they're doing it old school and releasing yeah. one a week. But you can wait six months and then watch them all. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, we're about to be Game of Thrones time, so that's, so, I'm, yeah. that, that's like, so I do have to say that I'm I I, I did look up Nebula Award winners because I was like I'm sure George R. R. Martin won one. Nope, he's oh. been a finalist, but it seems like they don't award. Mm, series like yeah like series like that so the one that standalone and the one that he was nominated for is probably one of my favorite ones it's the clash of kings it's the third book in the series but yeah i love those books and uh, i'm trying to think of another like when i was in college i would read anything at the half price bookstore so (laughs) i read a lot of stuff but i also that's good because that forced me it was within walking distance of my apartment and i was car sharing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's it. I read a lot of things I probably wouldn't normally have read because of that. So. And also I hung out with a lot of guys. That was mm-hmm. So boys like science fiction, but girls like science fiction. So my, my daughter is a, a very proficient. Do y'all have anybody in your house? She will win at any trivial pursuit. We have the trivial pursuit, Harry Potter edition, which is all Harry Potter. And no one will play with her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> She's un- unbearable. Do y'all have any like anybody in your house who has like a, a love like that, like of a series of books? I, you I, know, Northern Exposure. I mean, the show. TV I show, could have yeah. totally created a um, another series, a, from a that? book. I mean, a, a game like that, Trivial Pursuit yeah. from oh. Northern Exposure. I knew everybody's name, where they were born, all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah, you, you don't get into Seinfeld with my son-in-law. Uh, because there you go. he knows it all. <laughs> I mean, knows the names of the episodes. Yes, everything. So, like, y'all think, I mean, y'all know, I mean, I just admitted I'm a Star Trek geek, but we had a volunteer for a while and we were talking one day about some Star Trek thing and he had, he, he said, yes, well, in episode, <laughs> the number and Whoa, the name of the episode. Gosh. I knew that I knew I had seen it, but like, yeah, but there's people who really, I'm like, mm, yeah. I did. He was a real trekkie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a little bit more Renaissance. Person. I like yeah. a smattering of a lot of, a lot of things, but there are things that I gravitate. And then everybody, I think the interesting thing about binge watching or binge reading, which is the same thing, reading a series. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was so disappointed when I started the Harry Potter series and I read the first four books and then like, Oh my God, I had I to, have wait. to wait. Yeah. I have to wait. <laughs> yeah, I had that. We had a lot of that at our house. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I heard an interesting thing that Ken Burns said about about binging on stuff. And it seems to always be that, that we're binging on the things that 
spark an interest and then you get that interest and then it's captured. Mm-hmm. And he was relating it back to the Civil War series. And he said that at the time, nobody thought they would ever, nobody's ever going to watch 16 episodes. Of, I mean, and they're like two two hours, two and a half like hours. The North each. and South? Or um, the, nobody's or, ever going to watch yeah. this. The, they're not going to stay with it. Mm-hmm. And they did. Mm-hmm. And they still do. Like people still go back and watch that. And he said that's the akin to him. He's so smart of binge watching that. People want things curated for them. And so once you lay it, that's why releasing a whole series on Netflix, what they know once that you're in, you're in. Yeah. So Um, I agree with it. And he's so smart and he understands people and how they watch things. And he has a new, he's about to have a new, uh, Michael, you can cut this out. He's about to have a new, unless you like, uh, His new series is about to is going to be on the revolution, the American Revolution. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's done the World War II, right? Yeah, he did World War II. Yeah, in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's, so the next one's in Revolution, which I'm down with that, but hard to do because there's no pictures, there's no recordings. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, at least in the Civil War, you had a few <laughs> a few pictures, pieces of media. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so anyway, let's talk about our next book club meeting and our next book. Uh, the next meeting will be in May, the first week of May, airing on May 9th, but we're going to meet on May 7th. Um, the novel is called Less, a novel by Andrew Sean Greer, and it is the 2018 winner of the Pulitzer Prize. And I, all I know about it is that it looks like it's sort of an odyssey kind of book, that he's a traveler, American abroad. Definitely not science. Man, my daughter said it was good. Good. So not science fiction. And as usual, if any of our listeners who are signed up with our services would like an audio version of that book or any of the books that we've talked about, they just have to give us a call or email Stephanie at recordinglibrary.org and she will hook you up in whatever format you desire. And I think that's it. So it is. Yeah. Good job. So thanks for reading the weird book with me (laughs) and we'll see you in May. Thank you for joining us for the recording library of West Texas award-winning book club premiering on the first Thursday of the month at 7 PM. Thanks to our volunteers who participated in today's reading to listen again, find our show as a podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at our website at recordinglibrary.org.